as we're singing those words, how great is our God. We've just been rem remembering a few aspects of what God has done for us. And now we come to the time in this time before the Lord where we open His Word and we hear Him speaking to us and instructing us how we are to live and why. And so our prayer is that He would open our hearts, that He would open our ears, that we would hear and it would go straight to our hearts and so to our feet and our hands. So let's just come before Him in prayer. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for this privilege this morning of getting together and worshipping Your name together as people who love You. Thank You for everything You've done for us, Lord Jesus. Thank You that You've given us Your Word because by it we know how to live. It shines light on our path. By it we know how we are to walk before you every day. And so, Lord, our prayer is now that you would unclog our ears. May our hearts hear what you're saying to us. And may we then, in obedience, go in this place. And because we love you, help us to obey. And Lord, you've said that we don't have to do this on our own. You are with us through your Spirit. And you help us. And you give us insight. And so as we open your word now, Lord, bless this time together. May we know your presence among us now. Amen. Well, we're nearly at the end of the book of Hebrews. It's been a great walk through for me anyway. I'm not so sure about you. But... Um, we're in the last chapter, and it's as if I've slowed down here, but it's because of the practical applications, and I really want to be practical in the application. So um, there's this week to go, um, verses 4 to 6. Next week we're going to look at verse 7, and possibly the next few verses. I'll see how the Lord guides me in, in this next week, but I'm not looking forward to next week because it tells you to remember your leaders and to look at their faith. Mm. So we'll get to next week. But for today, I want us just to read the passage, and that is uh, the one we're considering now, and that is uh, Hebrews 13. And we're going to be reading from, verses, uh, from chapter 12, verse 28, through to verse 6 of chapter 13. So if you want to follow then your Bibles, that would be great. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. So in light of everything else we've heard throughout this whole book about Jesus Christ and who He is and that He's the creator of all and that He's the sustainer of all and that He's to be the focus and to be the center of our lives right throughout any circumstances that come our way, we now get the summary in verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, there's something for us to do. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. In other words, He's a holy God. 
Now it spells out the practical. What does that look like, as I've said before, with clothes on? What does it look like? Chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. And do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. And then verse 4 to verse 6 for this morning. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Three words. Marriage. Sex. Money. Usually those three words grabs a lot of attention, but... Sadly today, marriage doesn't grab as much attention anymore. But sex and money sure do. Winston Churchill even uh, got it grabbed by the word marriage. So we should therefore take note, right? This is what he said, and I love it. My most brilliant achievement was my ability to be able to persuade my wife to marry me. I like that. As we come before the Lord with this passage today, we remember that we come before a God, as we read in verse 28, who is a consuming fire in all His holiness. The God we worship is not a small little God. He is Jehovah God, the Almighty One, the Holy One. And so when we, He speaks about this acceptable worship and we are to live before Him with reverence and awe, what does it look like in practice? We saw last time that our doctrine, everything we've been learning through the rest of this book, needs to shape the way we react to it. In other words, it needs to shape the way we live before God. So our doctrine is to shape our response to God. And we either live by His teachings or we live by what we called situational ethics. Depending on the circumstances is how I react to circumstances. That forms my truth. And so you'll get that little saying that people have, well, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. Situational ethics. In other words, I determine how I live and respond by what is happening to me, not the other way around. God says this is how you are to live. doesn't matter what's happening to you. And so Hebrews 1 to 12, we saw, was the doctrine which shapes our thinking about Jesus Christ and how we're to live in response to Him. And we live in a world which is constantly trying to pull us away from this way of thinking and succeeding very much to a great degree. And so the world is in the church. The world pulls us away from looking to Christ only. And so in chapter 13, we get this application of how do we now live our day-to-day -day lives before Jesus Christ in practice. And we looked at how do we love each other as believers. We've looked at how do we show practical love to even strange friends. Those who were strangers who are now friends. How do we respond to those who are suffering today? 
in the body and outside the body. And then we come this morning to how do we respond to Jesus Christ in our sexuality, specifically in marriage and also outside of marriage. We're going to look at that. And then also, how do we respond to Jesus Christ in our attitude to our resources? So how do I live truth in practice is the question that we're answering this morning. And I want to try and be as practical as possible. So let's look at this area of sexual purity. How do we, how do we put Christ first in sexual purity? That's both inside and outside of marriage. Because not all of us are married. But he addresses all of us. You see, our culture is sex-saturated today. Have you ever tried flicking your TV on? You can hardly get through a news program. And there's something there. The world and its agenda pushing on us. And um, it's nothing new. The Greek and the Roman world were very much like today now. They just didn't have the big screen TVs. But... Life itself was like we live today. They had demands of their gods through the priests in the temples, telling them this is how you are to worship. You are to come to the temples. You are to meet with the temple prostitutes. And this is part of male and female prostitutes, part of the worship of the day. It was the normal behavior of the time. No one blinked an eye. Everyone had a third partner in a marriage. Your wife, your husband, and a temple prostitute of some kind. It was normal. And so it's nothing new um, when we read this for us today because life outside us in this church and the life around us has very much changed that way too. And so he calls us this morning to two things in this first phrase. He says we are to honor marriage in, verses, in verse 4. Honor marriage. And the word honor is the word timios, which means to hold high and to respect marriage. Why are we to do that? Because that's what Christians are supposed to do. Is that the reason? Why are we supposed to honor marriage? And the reasons given here is because God honors marriage. That's why we are to honor marriage. God honors marriage. How does God honor marriage? God established marriage. And it sounds like back to your wedding ceremony, all right? God established marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God created the woman for the man, and then he brought the two together before him. And they were to serve him together. He brought the woman to the man, and they were to serve him as a new entity. God honors marriage. Jesus honored marriage. When he, preferred, he performed his first miracle, it was at a wedding at Cana. Jesus was there and he said, this is the right place for me to show who I am as son of man. And the Holy Spirit honors marriage. How did he do that? He uses marriage as a picture in Ephesians 5 and other places in the scriptures of the church in the New Testament. He has a picture of marriage and how we are to live before God. You see, at the time of writing, the attitudes to marriage was very lax. And immorality was the norm. Very much like our permissive society where 
the institution of marriage and scripture's teachings on sexuality are constantly being challenged. And today, our teachings or the, 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 the scripture's teachings on marriage are seen as archaic. They're even seen as a form of hate speech to those who don't believe in them. That's where it's going. In those days, marriage wasn't held in high regard. And so, when the scripture was established, it was necessary for the Christian teaching to be clear and specific on this theme too. And so he spells out what marriage is. And take note, it's marriage by God's definition of marriage. Not man's definition of marriage. Because that's being watered down too. I just heard a thing on the news this week. Marriage celebrants are in uproar because now there are so many people that have been qualified because it's so easy to become a marriage celebrant that every John Dackenley's dog have now, can now marry people and in any way they like. And so you're getting weird and wonderful ways of people getting married. Why? Because the whole thing about marriage was taken away. The definition of marriage was changed in society. And now we're paying the consequences. And so this is calling us back to God's definition of marriage between a male and a female. I'll clearly say that from this pulpit. Between a male and a female. God created the male and female and brought them together. And we are to therefore honor our, the, our marriages in that regard. And he's calling us to honor our marriages. You and I, those of you who are married, the Lord is reminding you and I again, honor your marriages. Respect your spouse. Look after him or her. They are a precious possession God has given to you, with you, to serve him. I use the word possession carefully there, by the way. You see, honoring our marriages takes, and our commitments before the Lord that we made before him takes time. It takes energy. It takes dedication. And all three of those areas are being attacked. We don't have time for our marriages. We don't have energy anymore because we're so tired of working or whatever we're doing outside. And we don't want to put the dedication into being together. And we pay the cost. I'm on Winston today again, Winston Churchill. Not at the same level as God's word, by the way, I'll just say that. He said this about love. He said, immature love says, I love you because I need you. Mature love says, I need you because I love you. You get the difference? Tell me in your marriage, if you're married here this morning, do you still need your partner in marriage because you love them? Because in the world out there, it's swapped around. And we don't want the world's attitude in the church. And then he speaks... Wider, he says, keep our marriages pure. Now, in, in this sense, he's meaning physically, mentally, spiritually. And I'm going to be real blunt today. We need to be practical in our application of this. As I said before, you try switch on your TV and even a little program is nearly pornography, what would have been class pornography in years earlier. Just blatant, open, no qualms. Satan says, you can watch this, no one will know. The Lord says, I know everything. Have our attitudes changed in our homes? Are we getting so bombarded 
by these worldly attitudes that it's become the new norm. The literature you and I read, whether it's in book form or on the internet or whatever, does it take us into the world of, I wish my marriage was like this? There's a danger there. Because more and more and more stuff is being written for people who aren't satisfied or don't think their marriages are good enough, and so they start living in their virtual worlds, in the wish world. And very soon eyes start to wander, and hearts start to wander. What about virtual reality? What do we watch on our screens, on our computers, never mind on our TVs? What about at work, flirting? And I'm not talking about men and just men and women. I'm talking about women and men. Flirting that happens. I used to be in a corporate environment. I know what happens. So just those little jokes between each other. I'm not saying you need to be serious and wear a tie all the time. But it's what's the intent? with the joking with that female or male colleague. That getting familiar, over-familiar. Men, I want to speak directly to you guys. I'm one myself. Wandering eyes. Men, where are your eyes? Because where your eyes are, your heart will be. Where do you, your eyes allow your thoughts to linger? Is this practical enough? Ladies, and now I'm going into... I could get stoned, but... This is not the pale, stale male telling you how to dress, ladies. I'm not doing that. That's called legalism. I'm not going to say you are only allowed to wear this or that. Please don't wear this or that. That's legalism. I won't go there. That's not the Christian life. What does a Christian life give us? Scripture gives us principles by which to live. So all I want to do, ladies and gents, is put the principles in before you and you decide how you live before the Lord. So Scripture calls you ladies to, be, to dress beautifully. Why? So that you give glory to God for your beauty. That's the first thing. And secondly, you are to not dress provocatively in a way that says, I'm available, even though you're not really, but you might be. Let me just give you scriptural principles. When we walk the streets today, out there in the community, it's so different. I'll be blunt with you, as a man, I hardly know where to look these days. And I'll come back to that. 1 Peter 3, verse 3 to 4, this is what it says. This is the practical application of living lives before the Lord, which give Him glory in this area of sexual morality. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 to 4, this is what it says. Do not let your adorning be external. And then he uses examples from their time, and there's reasons for that. The braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, the whole braiding of hair, look, if you've got braided hair today, don't, you don't have to squirm. In the cultural context of their day, 
It was the prostitutes who braided their hair and put jewelry and everything in and put perfume in their hair to attract men. So in that cultural context, he's saying, don't let it be on the outward. Let the beauty be on the inward. All right. So we've cleared that up because there are some churches who say you shouldn't even be braiding your hair because the Bible says so. Out of context. Now, coming back to, uh, you walk down the street and you don't even know where to look. I've heard the retort from a, a, a couple of ladies, and it was on, when the news report was interviewing them about fashions, and they were saying, well, men shouldn't be perving. But you know, and yes, I agree, you can't control how or what others think. That's their responsibility before the Lord. But you can control what you project for others to think about. Men and women. That's all I'm going to say on that. God says, first, uh, he carries on in verse 4, he says, because God will judge or punish adulterers and the sexually immoral. There are two groups there. All right? The first, God is going to be, he's a God of grace, but he's a God who judges sin because he's a holy God who's consuming fire. Right? And so he says he's going to judge, he will be the final judge on adulterers and on the sexually immoral. Adulterers, that's referring to marriage, only marriage, and people who are unfaithful inside the context of marriage. The second phrase he uses, the sexually immoral, is outside of that. And it's the word pornos that is used. You'll know where that word goes. And it refers to one who practices sexual immorality, and it's outside of God's definition of what is right and wrong. God says this is sexual immorality. The world says rubbish. We say this is sexual immorality. And so there's been a whole overturn of moral values. And so we've seen our, the sexual definition of marriage changed. We've seen a definition changed of what is right or wrong between people. We've seen identity definitions changed. And yes, in many churches, and I've just been speaking to youth pastors at our annual hui, one of the biggest worries they have is premarital sex between people in the church before marriage. One of the biggest areas they're struggling with, because the world does it. And so this is referring to any sex which is not right in God's eyes. So I'll spell it out. Sex with a prostitute, homosexual or lesbian sin or group sex, sex with children, sex with animals, the modern one, friends with benefits. You heard that one around? Groups of friends going around, it's nothing to spend the night. Casual sex, it's another one, no strings attached, no responsibilities, all about who? Me. My needs. And then the latest perversion, and it's been around a while, and I, pre I didn't go and do research here, but avatar or anime sex. And this is, you see how the lie of Satan has gone into the world. So here people are sitting on a screen, and they've created this little avatar of themselves. It's a little picture of who you are. 
All right, you can choose who you, what you look like. And it's this little cartoon picture of who you are, your representation. And the Japanese have taken it to anime sex. I mean, to anime figures. And what they do is now, so online you can go and buy, buy fashion accessories for your avatar. Shoes up to 40, 50, 60 dollars for a picture. And they haven't ended it there. You can go and pay for your avatar and someone else's avatar to have sex online and you can watch. All drawn. Perversion. You see how Satan's lie spreads and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and it catches people in its net. And now it's a multi-million dollar business online. Our God is a consuming fire. We are to live lives before Him which reflect His love of what He has made and how He has made us. And He has said we are to honor our marriages and we are to honor our sexuality because He has made us in His image. He created us. But we are to do it His way. And I draw the church back to God's standards for sexuality and sexual definition. Not what the world pushes on us. And then one that's in church a lot, and this is another, uh, uh, I had this discussion with Bo here, because it was coming up uh, with other youth leaders in churches. And this is objection of youth leaders and pastors. When people come to them wanting to get married, who might be, uh, they've changed their, they're no longer male or female, they've changed to whatever they want to be now. All right, and they come and say, but we want to get married. And the youth passes under extreme pressure because they love these people or they're trying to reach out to them in Christ. But now this request has come. Now what do I do? And so they had a couple of youth leaders in tears saying, we have to listen to what they want because they love each other. Well, my friend... As a pastor and a leader, I say to you, have you got a high view of God? Is He a consuming fire? Or is He a small God? Is He a God of your own making? The world in the church. That's enough on that. I want to move on. He speaks in verses 5 to 6 about our source of security. 5 to 6 and verse 16. I'll just read it for you. Verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we'll get to the rest there. Keep your life free from the love of money. Now, in many ways, this love of money is not much different from sexual perversions. It's still a love of something else, not Jesus Christ, as center of my life. And so that's why it's grouped here with Sexuality. What is your source of security? Is the question we're going to ask ourselves. And he deliberately says in verses 5 and 6, keep yourself and your life free of the what? The love of money. He doesn't say of money. When you get money, you don't have to give it away because it's evil. That used to be taught in churches in the early days. They even taught, bring us your money because you don't know how to look after it. We'll look after it for you. Right. 
And so we had the excesses of many, and especially in the Roman church, where it happened. It doesn't say love, it doesn't say money, it says love of money. Money can do a lot of good, but not as an idol. When money becomes an idol, it only does evil. So we need to keep money in its perspective, like we need to keep sex in its perspective. Then it does good. And the question is, do you and I depend more on our money or on God as our source of security? Do you want to know how to test that in yourself? Next time when your bank balance is starting to get quite low, do your stress levels rise accordingly? Bank balance low, stress levels up. That's a sure test of where your heart is. And I'll speak to you, but I'll speak to me. We all do it, you see. We have to ask ourselves, is God sovereign in how we think about and handle the resources He has given to us to use? Where do they come from? Your bank balance? No. The Lord has given us resources to use. And He says He will be with us. And that's where our text is going now. He will be with us. He will look after us and our resources because we're doing it on His behalf. And so it, there's a follow-up question. Are you content with what you have, says our text? Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so what's the reason for our contentment? Now please hear me carefully now, otherwise you might throw rocks at me again. What's the reason for our contentment? Does it lie in our circumstances? No. Does it lie in the teaching of God's word? In this case, now listen to me, otherwise you'll throw rocks. No. There's a bigger one here. Our reason for contentment lies in the very character of who God is. Then what He teaches us. Our reason for contentment lies in who God is. Why? Because here's the verse which reminds us, Deuteronomy 31 6, verse 6. God has said this. He has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Now, he uses a double negative here for emphasis. It reads like this in the original. I will never, most certainly not, leave you. I will never, most certainly not, forsake you. I will never, never leave you, says the God who is almighty, all-powerful, and knows everything. And that's why our confidence and our contentment lie in Him and in what He teaches us. You see, now, local context, or global context, rather, there's global insecurity. You just have to switch your news on and watch your account at the same time if you've got KiwiSaver. Global insecurity, rising inflation, interest rates are going up, cost of living increases, petrol prices up and down. There's a pressure to have, to buy, to get, to own. It is November with all the sales on. And unfortunately, our self-images and our self-satisfaction is so often tied up to what we have and own and bank balances. And so the latest flip phone, you've got to have it because what do your friends think when you haul out this phone that can flip? 
You've got to have the latest temporary baubles. And that's where our self-satisfaction is tied up. That's where our security is so inseparably tied. And the Bible is calling us away from that. It's saying, come out from the world, my people. Revelation. Is your security inseparably tied to the God who is? The one who will never let you go. The unchangeable God who is always near. What does he say to you as well? He says, I will always provide for you. The very fact that God is near us, that he is always with us, that he is our helper, says Psalm 118 verse 6 to 7. Therefore we can say with confidence, he is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Is God your helper? Is God the one who is very near to you? Do you remember his words that he will never, never leave you? He will never, never forsake you. Well, if you do, my friend, then know he will provide. He will not ignore your plight, whatever that might be. He is the near and all-seeing God. He's a sustaining God. He's the protecting God. He's a continually upholding me God. He's the God who keeps changing me. Why? Because he loves me. He loves you. He will look after us. And so our confidence needs to constantly be in Him. And therefore we need to be content with what God gives us to use. What are we to do with it? Verse 16, and with this I end. We are to give these resources to others. We are to do good for others. We are to be of service to others. It's always about reaching out to those around. Never stays just with us. We get the gospel message to do what with? To keep to ourselves. Yay, I'm saved. No, to give to someone else. It's always about us giving to others. Jesus came so that we could live. Now we in turn give that message to others. He blesses us. We give the blessing to others as well. Be open-handed. Now they tell a story about a monkey in Africa. You might have heard this story. How do you catch a monkey in a trap? You dig a little hole that the fist can get in, and then you put a bunch of peanuts there. The monkey will come along, smell the peanuts, put his hand in there, grab as many peanuts as he can, and then he will not let go. And he'll try and come loose, but that's where they'll find him, and that's where they'll kill him. Let's have open hands with what God gives us as resources for our fellow human beings around us. That's part of the love we are to show. Winston again. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life of what we give to others. What do we do with this? Very shortly. First thing. How do you and I recognize impurity in our own lives? There's a very quick test. How do we recognize impurity in our marriages and in our sexual attitudes? One word. Me. It's all about me, what I want, my needs. If that is forefront in our minds, then you've, this God is in your life. Your eyes are off Jesus Christ. My needs, my wants, my satisfaction, my way of doing things in the marriage. Me. Instead of you. We all need to, as husbands, learn the phrase, yes, dear. What do you want, dear? Yes, dear. 
And if we have the same attitude towards other people around us, if you're not married, don't say yes, dear, to the woman. But Yes. How can I help you? Let's do it your way at work. Mutual submission to each other. Because mutual submission to each other starts with a total submission to Jesus Christ. Your way, Lord. Not my way, your way. Your definition of what's right and wrong in my marriage, in my relationship, in my sexuality, in the way I look at people. Secondly, how do we recognize greed in ourselves? What will be the signs? One word. Me. There I am again. Mine. I want it. What's the antidote to that? It's hold on to what you have and what you see as yours. Just let it go. Give away. Be generous, says verse 16. And then lastly, and this sums it up, is Christ the Lord of my life in every aspect of my daily life. Through every circumstance. That's what Hebrews is all about. In all circumstances. Be joyful to the Lord and be content with what you have. Because he will look after you. And remember in the Hebrew context here, these guys had nothing. They'd been ostracized by their communities, by their families, by the economic entities around them. If you had come to Christianity, the Jewish context said, you are dead to us. We will not interact. So what did this mean to them? What does it mean to us? You see, it's not just doctrine. This is reality. Doctrine in practice. Christ has said, I will never, never leave you. Therefore, Lord, says our hearts, be my vision. Be supreme in my heart. Because if you're supreme in my heart, it will fl flow out to my knees. My knees will go down and I will be worshipping you. And from my knees will go to my hands and my feet. I'll get up from there and I'll serve others as I serve Christ. Hands and feet for you, Lord. I've written us a prayer and I'm going to read it. I don't usually read my prayers, but I want to read a prayer of confession before the Lord for all of us. So pray with me as we close our service this morning. Lord, we think of what we deserve when contrasted with what you give to us. We confess with Jacob, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. The smallest good thing we have is more than we deserve. Help us to be content with what you have chosen to give us. The least blessed of God's saints is rich. With Hannah we proclaim this morning, the Lord makes poor and he makes rich. Remind us that our treasure is in our homeland, in heaven. And we should set our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Lord, Help us to honor our marriages as you honor marriage, to love and to hold until you part us in death. Help us to keep this commitment, not just in our heads as a past promise made on a wedding day, but in our daily lives 
as we love each other and serve each other in practice because we are serving you. Help all of us to keep our attitudes to sexuality pure in thought, in deed, at home, at work, in this church, in our society, and in our leisure. Help us to continue to stand firm against the norms, against the red redefinitions that society pushes on us. And if we get cancelled as a result, help us to see that your affirmation, that is, my good and faithful servant, is precious above everything else. So help us, sovereign God, our helper, our provider, our sustainer, and our defender. 